today on Ag News Daily. Uh, we're certainly looking to see what we can do overall as a, as a uh, part of a larger effort to bring more certainty around the RFS. Good afternoon. My name is Delaney Howell, joined by my co-hosts Mike Pearson and Hannah Pagel, and I am live today from the Iowa State Fair. Guys, how you doing today? Good, Delaney. Doing well. Yeah, can't complain. It's a beautiful day out. It's a beautiful day, and Delaney, I, I hear some background noise, and mm-hmm. I'm just wondering, where are you on the fairgrounds? Well, I snuck away. I was at the 4-H Market Beef Show this morning, and I snuck away. They have a nice little media center, I guess you could say, in the admin building of the Iowa State Fairgrounds, so I snuck away to cut today's podcast with you guys. Ooh, very Fantastic. Nice. Do you have any big plans when the podcast is over? Are you just going to enjoy the fair? Uh, I've been here almost every day so far, but this afternoon I'm going to be working or volunteering my time at the Iowa Pork Producers Tent, passing out some pork chops. Excellent. Those are one of my favorite stops at the fair. I may be a cattleman, but when I get to the fair, i got to have a pork chop mm-hmm. on a stick. Absolutely. You know what I found kind of interesting, you guys? So I was at the pork tent a couple days ago, and one thing that I really like about their meals is they have the three sides. They have the baked beans, the applesauce, and potato chips. And I had mentioned to one of the pork producer uh, staff members, and I had mentioned how much that I love the sides aspect of the meals, and he told me that I was the first millennial to tell him that because they say usually my generation does not like the three-side option. Isn't that kind of interesting? Yeah. I wonder so he, why. Yeah. Did, did he explain, I mean, do people, younger people just want one and not have to think? He said that the three-side combo that I just listed off is more of an older generation, like, grandparent style like they like those three combinations and he said that the millennials do not just they just don't care for them so they won't eat them huh oh that's sad it is sad sound sound good to me yeah well i guess maybe we're just all old souls here on the podcast (laughs) i guess so now let's see do we have any news hitting us in the world of agriculture today we absolutely do. I'll kick it off here since I wasn't on yesterday's podcast, catching you guys up on some of the stuff that I've been following. And we're going to be hearing from EPA Administrator Andrew Wheeler, kind of some of his thoughts and insights into issues like WOTUS, the RFS, um, and some of the other um, issues affecting rural America. And to kind of segue into that later in the podcast, we had a statement come out from Senator Chuck Grassley, who is, of course, Iowa's senior senator who said that the EPA is no longer considering that controversial provision that would make exported ethanol and biodiesel eligible for RINs credits to be used as a measure of compliance with the federal blending mandate. I saw that, Delaney. Now, is is this just his opinion or his thoughts, or is this, like, actually confirmed? Do you know? That's a good question. Mike, do you have any insight? Well, so that that is a great question. I think that's kind of the million-dollar question. Mm-hmm. Senator Grassley made it sound as though Administrator Wheeler was going around trying to find some kind of a concession or an mm-hmm. agreement yes. that would work with oil refiners in order to get rid of this uh, RINs for exportable biofuels. Yeah. If that didn't happen, if the refiners said, no, you know, you go away, we don't want to do anything, have anything to do with ethanol, 
then Senator Grassley made it sound like Administrator Wheeler was just going to go ahead and chuck that provision out completely, and there would be no risk. So it sounds like it's permanent, or it sounds like it's uh, more than just a theory or an opinion. We just don't know how it's going to get there. Yeah, it's interesting you say that because he did make comments the other day at the fair that he was looking for some sort of compromise and that compromises from both sides of the industries were was going to have to be made. Hmm. Yeah. Hmm. It'll be interesting to see where this ends up going, but at least at least that's off the table. That should help yeah. corn and soybean demand for bio fuels all the way around. Mm-hmm. And Delaney, I know we're going to be hearing from Andrew Wheeler here in just a second, but you were at the event yesterday, so what what was your take on, you know, Andrew Wheeler at the State Fair? Could you get a vibe from the room? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was actually Monday, Hannah, but I wasn't on the podcast yesterday to go through it with everybody. But, yeah, so they had a closed-door session right before they allowed some media to come into the room. And now I wish I would have been able to be in there with, you know, one of the commodity groups. But I talked to some producers afterwards, and there were kind of mixed emotions. I talked to a gentleman, Tom Brooks, who is the COO for the Western Dubuque Biodiesel, as well as, um, and also a chairman on the National Biodiesel Board, you know, he said it seemed to him, in his general opinion, that Administrator Wheeler didn't understand the mechanics of the RFS, and he kept referring to ethanol specifically, Um, and of course, the RFS and we kind of are guilty of it too, does apply to both ethanol and biodiesel. So he was a little disappointed with the administrator's comments. Other farmers felt like their voices were being heard, but again, didn't didn't feel like anything was really being done yet at this point. There was no concrete evidence about getting that RVP waiver to allow E15 to be sold year-round. Wheeler did mention that within the next 60 days, we should see what the new proposed WOTUS rollback will be. The Office of Management, or the OMB office will release that here within the next 60 days. But I would say overall, you know, a lot of the farmers were skeptical because we've just had so many folks in this EPA role that don't really know what's going on. Well, that's interesting, though. Yeah, it would have been nice to be in that room and to get all of that you know, knowledge and information, mm-hmm. but at least we got some some comments from Andrew Wheeler here in the interview coming up, so that's great. Yeah. Um, yeah, I've got some breaking news, actually, if I can jump in here for a second. Our friend Jeff Ryan up in northern Iowa has just sent me a tweet of a Buick Park Avenue that has been modified to include pallets on the back to make it into a pickup truck. I just thought that was very cool. It just buzzed was that up my really phone. Breaking, was that really breaking news, Mike? Breaking news. If I can <laughs> figure out a way to get it on the computer, we'll tweet it out at our Ag News Daily Twitter account. But okay. sorry, Anna. You go ahead. No, that that is great news, Mike. Thank you for sharing. <laughs> yeah, uh, well, thank you, Jeff, for sending it in. There we go. The news that I have for you guys today is the USDA announced yesterday that it will be buying up to $50 million worth of fluid milk in an effort to yeah. bring financial relief to the dairy industry. So it says the USDA is going to be using Section 32 authority underneath the Agriculture Adjustment Act of 1935 to make the purchases. And they really stressed that this is not going to be, the purchase is not going to be considered a part of the $12 billion tariff trade assistance. 
Uh, apparently, uh, Section 32 allows the USDA to take money from custom duties and then use it for a wide variety of things like disaster payments and purchasing sup surplus commodities. Um, but this looks like this is the first time the USDA is ever using Section 32 funds to remove mm -hmm. fluid milk off of the domestic market. Hmm. Yeah, and this this Section 32, so I was reading an article, I'm sure similar to the one you were reading, Hannah, um, made specific to note that this this uh, $50, billion, $50 million worth of fluid milk that is flooding the market is not part of the proposed $12 billion trade assistance package. They said this is completely separate from trade issues and is just due to like the um, overproduction that we've been seeing in the milk industry. And to put it in perspective, that amounts to buying about 11 to 13 million gallons of milk. Wow. That's unbelievable. Yeah. Well, hopefully that will help our dairy producing friends, you know, get back into black ink territory. Mm-hmm. For sure. You know, I've got an update here as we're talking about uh, talking about dollar figures. We had the largest or one of the largest uh, trust funds established for Native American farmers uh, yesterday. There was a lawsuit that was settled in 2010 in which uh, the U.S. government admitted that they have uh, been discriminating against Native American farmers for at least 20 years, and they set aside $680 million, and then they threw it out there for people to claim, and yesterday they officially kind of closed the books on all the claimants, and now there are going to be just about 3,600 farmers and groups of Native American heritage who are going to be able to use 266 million dollars to improve their access to agriculture and uh and farm stuff can it be broadband mm. or equipment or loans all sorts of different things okay hmm. hannah what else is popping out you out at you today well the next piece that i have for you is there's just some uh some new fungicides that have been you know rolling out or that have been given granted approval from the epa so syngenta has a new seed treatment that recently received some approval from the EPA. It's called Vibrance Trio, which is kind of, uh, it has a mixture of three different fungicides, active ingredients, and it's used to really combat a lot of different soybean diseases. And then I also have another one, Maroon Bio Innovation submitted a bioherbicide to the EPA today to get regulatory approval for their herbicide that's coming out. And that's all geared towards organic plants. Hmm. What is a bioherbicide? Is that like a, a living thing? Apparently so. I'm trying to like break it down. So I, I guess it's, I don't want to say it's a safer herbicide or weed killer, but they talk a lot in this article about how weeds are a major source of yield loss for most cropping systems, especially in the organic industry. And so this this bio herbicide, just I'm guessing it's the ingredients that made this herbicide. It's all organic approved, and hmm. that's kind of what I've gathered from this. Interesting. I've just never heard that name before for a herbicide. Yeah, me neither. I have It'll be not interesting either. See if it takes off. And actually, I've got some other herbicide and pesticide news. Uh, this news is out of Canada, and we've heard a lot of chatter over the past several years about neonicotinoids or neonics, a pesticide type that has been alleged to be killing honeybees. 
And so Canada has taken action today. They said they are going to restrict the use of two different types of neonicotinoids. And I'm going to try to pronounce their names, and I will certainly mess them up. But it is thiamoxetham from Syngenta and clothianidin from Bayer. <laughs> yeah, you don't know. You don't have any. No, idea. I, I don't know. I don't know which which two those are, but it's one from Syngenta, one from Bayer. Uh, Canada says that they have found high levels of these two particular chemicals in water bodies, and they're high enough to harm aquatic insects and uh, potentially bees. And this restriction will go into place after a 90-day commenting period. So if this is something that uh, that you use on your farm, our Canadian listeners, now's the time to get active and, you know, try to try to defend your use of it and maybe maybe grant get some exceptions or something. Hmm. OK, let's see. Well, the only other piece of news I have today is kind of some big news. I don't know if you guys have seen this yet, but Russia has offered two and a half million acres of, of farm ground, basically to Chinese farmers to help ease some of their tensions with their soybeans shortages. So they've made a million hectares or two and a half million acres of arable land available on their eastern eastern border there with China. And a lot of the a lot of people have been speculating about this ground, saying it's probably not very high quality. Um, it's not very productive farm ground, but they are making that step in, in trying to get some Chinese investors to invest in the Russian economy, as well as, you know, finding some new farm ground for them in kind of the wake of the trade war that's been going on. So I thought that was kind of interesting. Yeah. Kind of a kind of a power move there by yeah. Russia, kind of a mm-hmm. big old little finger to President Trump and yeah, things haven't. Yeah, yeah, boy, we're just going to give the Chinese this farm ground and away you go. Yep. Well, just as long as we're talking trade, uh, we got to give an update here. NAFTA talks have begun again in Washington D.C. between the Mexican officials and the U.S. officials, dominated by uh, Robert Lighthizer. We don't have any news, but they are still talking. So that's progress, I think, from the uh, from the NAFTA perspective. Okay. Well, the, Hannah, did you have any other news, or should we head over into the markets for today? Well, I have no more news. So with that, Mike, do you want to get us into the market, see where we ended up for the day? I absolutely do, Hannah. But of course, I want to remind our listeners, first of all, that our markets are brought to us by our good friends at the Zaner Group. We continue to see volatility in the grain markets. Folks, put a marketing plan together. Take some of that risk management off your plate. Put it in the hands of professionals. Give the Zaner Group a call at 312-277-0050 or visit their website at Zaner, Z-A-N-E-R.com and tell them you heard it on Ag News Daily. Looking at the markets today, we're giving back a lot of yesterday's gains in the grains. In the corn market, September was down three and three quarters of a cent at 361 and a half. December down half a cent to close at 376 even. Soybeans kind of took it on the chin today. September down 10 and three quarters at 857 and a half. November also dropped 10 and three quarters to finish at 869 even. In the wheat pit, Chicago contract September wheat down nine and a half cents at 532 and a quarter. December also down nine and a half to close the day at 551 and three quarters. Looking over on the live 
livestock side, hey, we've got green all the way down the screen. In live cattle, the August contract up 35 cents, 108.32.50 was the close. October up 27.5 to close at 109 even. And in feeder cattle, the August contract up 12.5 cents, finished at 149.05, with September up 47.5 to close at 149.15. Lean hogs saw some strength today. October contract up 62.5 cents at 52.47.50. The December up 80, closed the day at 49.45. And let's see if that USDA announcement on milk did anything for the dairy industry, and it did not. In Class 3 milk, the August contract was down 4 cents at 14.98, with September down 12 to close at 16.01. Before we get to that conversation with EPA Administrator Andrew Wheeler, let's get a word from our friends at Latham Seeds. Joining me this week is Phil Long from Latham High Tech Seeds. Phil, harvest is coming up. We're starting to think about winter and, of course, next spring. And for a lot of folks, that means cover crops. Latham Seeds does sell cover crops. What do growers need to be thinking about this time of year if that's an avenue they're considering? Yeah, definitely, Mike. There's a lot of guys that are that are starting to use cover crops, and I know guys that are seeing even yield benefits from them. Uh, but beyond that, a lot of, a lot of the, the majority of guys are using a cereal rye. Uh, tends to be the top choice just because of the length of the window that you have to get it in. It's the hardiest cereal, cereal grain that we really have, not to be confused with rye grass. Um, but cereal rye works really well after corn, before soybeans the best in terms of weed control and uh, managing moisture and organic matter and so forth. Um, but it's a, an excellent choice to fly on as well. Um, even for those guys in the south that's been staying kind of dry down there, you know, getting it on there before the leaves completely drop and harvest um, will provide a good opportunity for that to take up moisture. It, it germinates fairly easily, so that's the, the good thing, but drilling is also another option that can be done with rye even up into November and still see really good success. Fantastic. Folks, if cover crops is something you're considering this year, give the folks at Latham Seeds a call. They can help you with every aspect of it, and you can reach them at 877-GO-LATHAM or on the website at LathamSeeds.com. Well, I'll go ahead and just kick it off. First of all, I want to thank uh, Administrator Wheeler for coming to the Iowa State Fair, to coming to Iowa, to have the opportunity to sit down not only with our commodity groups, but uh, with agribusinesses as well, to have the opportunity to talk about issues that are important to Iowa farmers. Uh, we talked a lot about uh, the RVP E15 and higher blends year-round. Thanks to the Administrator and EPA on their um, actions that they've taken with Waters of the U.S. I'll let the administrator talk a little bit about that. But it was a, it was a great opportunity for uh, our, all of our commodity groups to really talk to them about how trade and tariffs are impacting what they're doing, impacting the, the family farm agriculture in the state of Iowa. Uh, I want to thank Congressman Young for really helping get uh, the administrator here. I appreciate uh, you reaching out and turn it over to you to give us a few comments. Yeah, well, thank you, Governor, and thank you, Secretary. Um, thank you for coming to Iowa State Fair. Uh, you have been someone who has been very accessible transparent and you're, you're thinking about all these important issues. Uh, agriculture is a lifeline for Iowa. Uh, it's good for the economy that's going on uh, in agriculture. Uh, renewable fuels issues, you have great jobs, good for the environment, uh, help us be more energy independent, 
that's very important. And you have done something that's uh, very kind to come here because the last thing he administrator didn't want to really come here. He was mute uh, and not just eat something fried on a stick, I'm sure, uh, but to listen to those who uh, the president represents, you represent as well. So thank you for being here. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Secretary. Thank you, Congressman, for uh, sending me the letter by the first week. Uh, I was acting administrator inviting me to come here. And thank you, Governor, for the invitation as well. Uh, governor Rose was the first governor that I spoke to after assuming um, the acting administrator role in the agency. Um, I really learned a lot today. I've enjoyed being here at the fair. But the least of which was helping to judge a pie uh, baking contest this morning. I really enjoyed that. But more so, I enjoyed the roundtable we just had with the different ag groups here in the state, the commodity groups, listening to them, hearing what their concerns and problems are, telling them a little bit about what we're trying to do. We're trying to provide more certainty on waters in the U.S., for example. We have a proposal coming out over the next 60 days that will um, help provide more certainty to farmers and landowners everywhere as to what is a wetland and what is not a wetland. So you don't have to hire attorneys and consultants to make those decisions for you. You can make them yourself. Or at least you can understand the law better to make the decision yourself. And then on the RFS. The RFS is a very important program, not just for the state of Iowa, but for the entire country. We want to provide more certainty for, um, for example, the RVOs. Um, so far this administration, we've been on time on our RVOs each year. Um, that provides more certainty to the, to the biofuels producers and to the American consumers, and we're going to continue that. Um, we're looking at the small refiner exemption. I know that's an issue here in the state. We're trying to provide more certainty around that. And um, looking at the, RV, um, the RVP, the 15-year um, round, uh, what we can do and, and how we could go about doing something to address that issue. Uh, but first and foremost, just being here today in Iowa, with the governor, with the congressman, with the secretary. It's, it's been great um, meeting different people here at the fair, sitting down with all the ag groups. Uh, certainly appreciate it. Thank you for your hospitality. Thank you for the hospitality of the state. It's, it's really been a great day so far. Thank you. Sure. Thank you. I'm working around a pole back there. Can you tell us the timeline for E15 when a decision will be made? I, I can't tell you the timeline. We, we are mindful of needing to have a decision on that before the growing season next year. Any other questions? With all the nitrate levels of the water that we have, the farmers coming from the north, do you have a plan for them that can help us out with the water? Well, you know, I, I was at the foreground on helping on that across the whole region. I think they're the number one state in the Gulf of Mexico Basin. Um, so we're, we're working with you all yep. here to provide um, help and assistance to the other states in, in the region. But you, you, your, your state is taking the lead on this, yep. and the other states in the north of, of Iowa can certainly learn a lot from what you've done here in Iowa. And he's referring to the nutrient reduction strategy that we have in place that was implemented by former uh, Secretary Begg, Bill Dorothy, in conjunction with the governor and the governor's office. And that's one of the reasons that they tapped 
uh, Secretary Norby uh, because of the, our leadership role in the um, nutrient reduction strategy. And Secretary Nag has continued five years, I think, Secretary. We just yes. celebrated this year and continue to see progress in, in reviewing of the nutrient reduction strategy to see if there's other things that we can do. You want to comment on that? That's right. You know, thank you, Administrator, for recognizing the, you know, the leadership, our leadership in the, in the region, and we'll continue to co-chair the hypoxia task force with EPA and the state of Iowa. Uh, you know, so again, it's just a, a testament to what partnership can look like in, in the region, and so uh, we, we appreciate that. And, and again, you heard from folks loud and clear today uh, about how they do that. And we're using Iowa as a model for the other states in the region. We're certainly looking to see what we can do overall as a, as a uh, part of a, a larger effort to bring more certainty around the RFS, um, and, and we're open to that. And I've been meeting with different groups around the country and, um, and different associations that represent the ethanol people, the refiners, trying to figure out what we can do to provide more certainty around the RFS program. But the important thing is that the Trump administration wants to move forward with implementing the RFS both the spirit and letter of the law. So 15 billion gallons needs to mean 15 billion gallons, and I think that's the message that was delivered today in a very constructive manner. And that is something that the, you know, the administration and the EPA could could weigh in on that would have an immediate impact on uh, the, the price of corn and would you know infuse some optimism and certainty into the market. And so they're committed. And you, you, you're looking into some yes. different ideas. You welcome for I mean, you welcomed ideas that individuals may have, but. Again, it was reiterated over and over that we need to get something done sooner rather than later. That would be something that immediately would have an impact on markets, raise the uh, price of corn, and would infuse some certainty into the markets as well, and optimism. Any word on when OMB will release its final review of Lotus and when it will be released to the Federal Register? We're hearing that it should happen within the next 60 days, and we certainly encourage everybody to submit comments during the notice of comment process. Because of what President Trump said in promising E15, thinking it was a fabulous idea, there's an expectation that that's going to happen. Yeah. And whether it's administratively or legislatively, uh, we want to make sure that if it's done administratively, it sticks, it's yeah. not for a challenge, and there's certainty out there for a long time uh, to come to make sure that this is there for consumer and producer. Uh, if, if that's not the case, then we'll work with the administration in a bipartisan way within Congress. There's a bill out there to do E15 year-round, and we'll push on that from but it's going to happen. Okay. Thank you all. Thank you. Thank you. Governor? Thank you. Can I just ask you about what happened with the Venezuelans? Well, first of all, uh, that's not part of it. never have been. That's not part of the country. Who has been intercepted and really made a completely joyous view of the day. And it was a great period. I was so proud of my And again, that was acting EPA Administrator Andrew Wheeler and Mike, you know, it's just nice knowing that the EPA, you know, Andrew Wheeler even came to the Iowa State Fair, made an appearance, you know, was out in the public so we could get some thoughts and maybe even some transparent thoughts going.
Absolutely. And, you know, like like some of those folks Delaney was talking to had mentioned that, you know, maybe he doesn't quite understand all the ins and outs of RFA or the RFS the way farmers and ethanol companies do. He's here. That implies to me that he's willing to learn, which I think is great to see from a government official. And Hannah, if folks want to learn more about Ag News Daily or some of our past interviews, where should they go? Well, Mike, they first can go to our social media pages and check out Ag News Daily. They can leave us a comment. Uh, they can tweet at us. They can, you know, give us a like. We'd love to hear from them. Or they could go directly to our website at www.agnewsdaily.com. And with that, Mike, should we let the people go? Let's let them go, Hannah. Yeah.